tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Join me as always, Xavier Guerrero and Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. How are you guys? Hey, Good. Hey, hey. Powerful episode today. Big Powerful time. episode. Big time. Uh, we had for, uh, Richard Grove come on, and dude, the guy made a run for M- Mount Crushmore. The guy yeah. made a run for Mount Crushmore today. I haven't read that in- that many books in a long time. Dude, yeah, you've never read any of those <laughs> books in that amount of time. Uh, you know, but, I mean, he came, he crushed it, dude, and it's a great conversation, and it's a really good conversation about understand what they're doing to us, who's doing it, how long they've been doing it, and what you can do to, to not participate in it, and that is everything. Not participate, pulling your energy out, not getting into these cultural wars that they want you to 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 lose sight in and fight with each other. Man, he breaks down this whole thing about the Rothschilds and the South and the North and the South. It, game changer, in my humble opinion. Game changer. They want they want mutual destruction, mutual annihilation, and when you fight into it. Today's the day I'm going to stop participating in Twitter and going after all this shit because I just realized I'm feeding into it after this episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it, guys. Listen, we're going on the road, man. Uh, Eddie, myself, we're going to Florida. Guys, grab your tickets. Now, trust me, this is the show you want to see. Eddie is fucking fire right now, and my new stuff is Crush Fest, and it's time. And, you know... I know things are getting tight out there, but these are the shows you want to see. These are the shows because they are epic. And guess what you do? You get to vibe with your tribe. You know what else I must start doing? Meetups. We need to run those. Local meetups where you meet up with people from your neighborhood. All right, I'm done with that. Tim Fall Hat meetups. So, you know, hey, man, hey, Swarm, Swarm Cincinnati, Swarm Florida. Maybe we could do like a live stream for the people that meet up, you know, like a... I'm gonna bring it up. The other day I was at the gym and a swarm member ran into me. Yeah. And I, I'm not I'm not gonna say he ran my ear off, but he had no one to talk to. And I I felt like he like had things to say that he just can't say at He's home. listening right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's fine. But I, I I I understood why he sat there for like ten minutes. I was like and I was like, because he has no one else to do it. Yeah. I have my release right. here with you guys. Right. right. But you're right, a meetup for them would be like, yo, can we meet up once a week and be like, yo, let me in on what you know, right. what you know. Right. right. That's gonna, what yeah. I think we should do. So January June seventeenth, Tallahassee, June eighteenth, Jacksonville, June twenty first. Dude, Assassins Only. This is a show. I already have some killers on it. You're going to want... It's only $10. I know some you of the killers. You have to take his word that. for that, but... No, take my word for <laughs> it. I want to try to do something different. 
I want these people to be able to go up and work in a in a space where they don't have to worry about who's oh everybody's like oh my god they were so mean no dude we're getting back to savages you got to do that but then leak it you know that's what these uh, bands do they uh, do these secret shows they they say oh secret show but then they leak it a little bit guys a month from now we are we have a I got to take down July. 14th because that's a comedy chaos at the comedy store and then after that on june july 15th i'm in morris plains and july 16th i'm at the dojo morris plain go grab your tickets now and then san francisco should be up yes, yes. so here's what's happening I'm doing a show in the early show. Then the second show is Tim Fall Hat Comedy. First show, Sam. Second show, Tim Fall Hat Comedy. It's what they wanted. Come see me do an hour crush fest. And then the second show, you can see either me, me, Eddie, Xavier Guerrero. Maybe we'll have Johnny come up. Can't guarantee anything. But Johnny loves San Francisco and butt oh, stuff. He killed on. He killed I've at the American been. Comedy Club. I've never yeah, been. Johnny, can we work that. on some non-Sam Triple a piece of shit material? <laughs> I was complimenting you mostly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sam's great. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's illiterate. I, what, I had, I had, I had Johnny, nothing about your joke. Oh, my favorite joke. joke was I... His eye, his phone couldn't read his face because he was so fat. Oh, you remember that funny <laughs> joke you did about how fat I am? That's a warning. You're totally no, right. no, it was no, it was how fat you were. I said I just you look great. Jo- Josh Wolf is like shredded, dude. I I wish I could do that, dude. I mean, we would just have to like eat so proper. How much do you have to work out to get like that, though? How many days a week? I mean, he, his kids are older, so he gets to go to the gym whenever. But how many days a week is that? You think probably a couple times more? Okay, I think it would be like four. Four is that too much for you? That's a lot, dude. Well, Johnny, you you, you get working, up yeah. at two in the afternoon. No, I don't. I mean, I'm here. To, we we record at one. You're How's right, that? Johnny. I mean, I'm just <laughs> you're very sensitive, guy. So, guys, go check out my website. I, I do get up at two in the afternoon. You do. Okay, go home. Go <laughs> he's, the, pounding, go he's pounding. He's pounding late at night. Hey, you're right. He's pounding so late at night. I wish. I wish. August fifth and sixth. I'm in San Francisco. Go down a little bit, guys. Everything you need is at samtriplee.com. Tim Fall hat. Uh, all my. Listen, I must say something. Times are getting tough. I know this. That's why Rockfin, in my humble opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, is the greatest value out there. $10 a month, you get everybody's content. There are 400 content creators on Rockfin, and you get all of their stuff for $10 a month. Just me, I'm putting anywhere from four to six episodes every week. Every week, look at this, dude. All this stuff you get on there for $10. It will be the best value. I know there's a lot of people who have are still on Patreon. I have a Patreon with uh, Cash Daddies. That's great. But, dude, $10 a month for all the content you could ever want on Rockfin. It's the best deal out there. And we uh, just dropped a Broken Cinema on Rockfin, unedited, and the regular one just came out. Audio, check it out. Audio, check it out. Two and a half hours of me talking about my life and surprisingly entertainment. Time traveling uh, Elizabethan hooker this week. Yeah, hooker wenches, dude. Time traveling hooker wenches. What? Sam encountered a time traveling hooker. That's the tease. No, go back and see Eddie Bravo is the number one show. And on, I think Rockfin now. Yeah, he said Jamie Kennedy was great. No, he yeah. was telling me the other night that Jamie Kennedy was great on there. Dude, the whole Dude, we gotta get great. Jamie Kennedy on. Yeah, I think he would be. Oh, Jamie, good, we gotta get him on. Can. We got Jamie Kennedy. I'm gonna reach out to you. You're gonna get on Conspiracy yeah. Social Club and. And Chingle Bling on. Alex I mean, Stein. dude, all the greats. All the greats. He's coming to Heisberg. Like, nine, nine episodes in. All the greats. In. All the greats. Well, dude, he's one of the best to yeah. do it. 
I mean, look at those killers. Yeah, really. Who wouldn't want to talk to Eddie Bravo? Who wouldn't want? That's the easiest sell in podcasting. Dude, you can ask Xavier Guerrero. Eddie Bravo is the Jamie Foxx of Mexicans. Yeah. Dude, he can sing. He can fight. He can sing. He can do it's comedy. Really. His wife is hot. If His you think kid about is it, cool. I mean, the guy's killing. What? If you think about it, yeah, it's kind of depressing. It's, a little. it's well, like he yeah. got more points for his yeah. video game character than the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, I mean? somehow, <laughs> dude, he just got more than all of us, yeah. which is fine. We love him very much. Guys, uh, what else do we got? Um, T-shirts. I need to come up with some new T-shirt ideas. This guy sent me one, but uh, we'll talk about it off here. I just don't know if it's been done before. Well, we got to work on that. Uh, telegrams are fire, bro. Telegrams are fire. Let's go to samtriplee.com. Click on the tinfoil only conspiracy telegram or the zero one. And you'll begin some new zero episodes. I'm sorry. I've been uh, really slammed. But dude, almost 500 people talking conspiracies. My cameos are fire. My cameos are fire, bro. Fire. Cameos of fire. So go check that out. T-shirts, just go to tinfoilatt-shirts.com or click the link on samtriplee.com. Guys, I have seven free audio shows for you to listen to every week. Tinfoil Hat, Broken Sim, which is killing it right now. It's basically me walk around L.A. looking for danger. Me and Roger, my gay pug, we walk around L.A. and look for danger. And uh, it's, it's 4.9%. It's pretty nice. Go up, go up. Uh, Cash Daddies has been fire. Mm. Punch Drunk, Union the Unwanted, which is the greatest discussion on the internet. And then uh, Conspiracy Social Club and Zero are old uh, shows from the vault that you could listen to. And so if you want to listen to new ones, you can go to rockfin.com and get new ones every week. Two, to th- two episodes most time, one to two every week. Every week, only for $10. Anything else, guys? That's it. Oh, that's it. Guys, uh, we love you. Guys, I know it's hard times. Today's episode will help you understand what you're up against and how to deal with it, okay? We love you very much. The future's bright. Enjoy this wonderful episode with Richard Grove. Hey, guys, today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take Athletic Greens every day because I want better gut health, more energy, optimized immune system, okay? I hate taking a bunch of pills and vitamins. I want a supplement that actually tastes great and want to see what the hype was all about, okay? With one delicious scoop, Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens, all right? It starts your day off right. And it's real simple, okay? It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, okay? It costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Enjoy the show. We go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink. 
All right, man. Super excited to have this next guest on. He's uh, you could say he's a regular on here. He's done it a couple times, and we're glad to have him back. And you know, we're gonna get into a bunch of stuff, man. There's some financial stuff we're gonna get into, some hidden history. So it's all my favorite stuff. His podcast, his website is GrandTheftWorld.com. Please welcome back to the show one of my favorites, Richard Grove. How are you, brother? I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you guys for asking. XG, Johnny, what's up? We're glad to have you back, man. We're glad to have you back. For those who may not uh, be familiar with your past experiences, your past uh, interviews on our show, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Sure. Well, we're both on Rockfin. So I broadcast live Rockfin, 9 o'clock. Uh, PM on Sunday nights till about three or 4 AM. Uh, it's a weekly digest of news with deep dives into the context of things that are being censored and kind of making a time capsule every week of these crazy days we're living through. And uh, I got my start back in 2006. My first podcast was nine 11 synchronicity podcast, kind of capturing uh, evidence and artifacts the same way, kind of making a time capsule for people in the future who wanted to learn about such events. And that went on for a couple of years. And my other major projects have been, film. I did another podcast for 10 years called The Peace Revolution that kind of teaches you all the the history around what's going on today with the World Economic Forum, the Bilderberg Group, Council on Foreign Relations, this globalist endeavor to take away people's freedom pretty much in the next 10 years. As your guest last week, uh, I, I caught it like I think on Friday, but uh, ESG, right? That whole plan of uh, governance, is, they're rolling that out alongside of like 2030 agenda for United Nations and vaccines. And they're really bringing it all together. They're trying to gain too much ground too quickly. And I'm a white pill personality. I've done enough reading over history. I know we have a serious chance. They don't want us to think we have a chance. They want us to fight amongst each other. But I think that we can uh, reach out and touch people gently, gently by just showing them artifacts and evidence that exist and saying, hey, look at this. Have you ever read this about Woodrow Wilson or so on and so forth? When it comes up in conversation, you don't want to beat people over the head with these things, but you definitely want to bring to the, the, the conversation the value out of having read books and like looked at these situations seriously as many of the people in your audience do. Richard, I love that. I love everything you just said. You know, it's it, and this is a great time to have this conversation because, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I think like uh, just like a lot of you, I've been kind of, uh, I don't know, drinking uh, the rotten Kool-Aid in a weird way where I'm like, is it all doom and gloom? I mean, like, I would lie to you guys if I said I didn't take a hit on the crypto. And, you know, the, with the with the whole pandemic shutting down, like, the greatest show of all time, which was Comedy Chaos that was running. You know, I, I could easily be lost in, like, oh, you know, doom and gloom. But I really do honestly believe, and I will always keep it honest with you guys when you listen to the show, that, that this is something we have to go through in order to shed a spotlight on the, the, the rot that has been allowed to uh, operate with impunity because nobody was talking about it. And here we are in this moment right now having these conversations, not just on this show or Richard show, but across so many wonderful shows from the right to the left are all talking about the same thing. And, and you know, a lot of the stuff that came out of Davos was like, whoa, they're not listening to us. And I like, we see it happening. I I'm with you, Richard. I, I think, yes, it is really bumpy right now, but I have, I have a lot of faith that, we're winning, man. I really do believe that. Well, I think they're moving so fast with their plans right now that they're so tone deaf. And whether it's the um, 
They had the uh, conference last November, World Economic Forum. It was a follow-up to the Great Reset. It was like the Great Narrative. They started that plan. It was also in Abu Dhabi. And then they had recently the World Government Summit. And then they had uh, World Economic Forum, Davos. And then they just recently had Bilderberg. So they're meeting so fast and trying to make this thing happen that they're completely tone deaf on the issue of people have had enough. They're starting to sniff out the agenda. I mean, for the past 16 years, I've educated people about globalism and new world order from very credible evidence-based perspective. People are looking for that story now. I used to have to kind of like, hey, did you know this is going? Now they're asking me, where is it coming from? What's going on? Is there a narrative that explains all this? It's like, you know, it's a long time in coming, but I think you're right. This growth, this evolution, this rising to the challenge, this dealing with the complexity. And it's not just crypto that took a hit. It's all these things are part of this evolution that we're taking right now in order to step away from the federal reserve and all these other things, these systems that keep us enslaved. So crypto is taking a hit. The market's taking a hit. Gas is taking a hit. Housing is a super shortage right now. There's a lot of tragedy going on and people haven't even seen or realized the empty shelves that are coming for the grocery stores and the, the downward turn of food production and the lack of fertilizer and the lack of wheat. And it's not just this country. It's going to be a global phenomenon. And the people running the show, the people meeting who are not elected leaders over there at Davos or the World Government Summit or any of these places, they know exactly what's going to happen because it's their policies that are driving these points of scarcity. We didn't have these type of supply line changes and, and, and disruptions back in the real, you know, uh, first days of the global phenomenon. Right. But now it hits. It's because they've had to subvert, subvert, subvert at every turn, every type of autonomous food production or self-reliance or entrepreneurism. And they've done it full spectrum dominance systematically. And it's not a surprise that they're doing it. They said in plans 20 years ago, they were going to do this during this decade. I take their plan seriously because they have unlimited resources and nobody's saying no to these people. Everyone jumps on board. Yep. The green agenda, the sustainability agenda, the carbon agenda, all these nonsense things are just forms of slavery for individuals. And that's the capacity of where we're at in human history. There's a, a lot of things going on. Change is going on very fast. And like, uh, you know, the character in Risky Business says, uh, sometimes you just got to stop, take a look. Oh, that's that's Ferris Bueller. Sometimes you got to say what the fuck and make your move saying what the fuck gives you freedom. Freedom brings you opportunity and opportunity makes your future. But the other one is you got to stop and look around sometimes. Otherwise life's going to pass you by those two ideas right now. People need to stop, take a look around and then say what the fuck and make their move, man. Because the, the people that are running this are looking to bring back lockdowns and masks and they're going to show us new things before the election. And I'm not political and I haven't voted since 2004, but I think I might vote for the first time in a long time. I mean, the last time I voted was for a libertarian candidate, Michael Badnarik, who's a good friend of mine now back in 2004. And I, I stopped believing in that system. But seeing where things are going, I have to say maybe my non-participation in that system is is letting it rot faster than it has to. I don't want to move out of the country. I don't want civil war. I don't want any disruptions. We all just want to live peacefully, quietly, kind of carve out our own life. We're not trying to take over the world. But these other people are, and they're serious about it. And you can now see it at the gas pump. You can see it at the grocery store. You can see it on the looks of your friends and family because everyone seems to be getting into turmoil these days. And that's why we need to add skills and rise above it and work together in new interesting ways and be inventive and bring ingenuity to these situations and not just be deer in the headlights while all this goes on for the next couple of years I, I i couldn't agree more with all that now the question is well are, what do you think at libertarianism are you going to go with dave smith if he runs or uh are we going to go with um <laughs> hey dude i would love right, to man. see dave smith what, a guy able, from it, I, 
I live in Connecticut. If Dave Smith shows up on a ballot near me, I will definitely vote for Dave Smith. Yeah, I already man. promoted him for president months ago in the Grand Theft World podcast. We made a big deal of it and said, look, Dave's at least funny and he's smart. And he's smarter than the people he's like, first off, he's smart. Now he's smarter than the people he's going against. Now he's also funny, which crosses political aisles. So I think he would be a considerable threat to include in any of those types of uh, uh, discussions, debates, coverage, interviews on TV. Like he, he, he has an opportunity to tear it up. And he's got good coaches around him. He uses a lot of Scott Horton references for as far as his uh, foreign policy. And um, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys at the Porcupine Freedom Festival next week. I, I, I have a I have a real uh, issue with the uh, doom and gloom. We can't do anything point of view that yeah. seems to be in a lot of the black pill people like like this notion that it's just done. I, I because I, I think people if you believe it is like that, then it is Sam, though. Like whether you say you can or you say you can't, I believe you. So for people like I don't, I'm not approving of mixing libertarian philosophy, which I have a large agreement with, with libertarian politics. I think the two are incongruent. I think Dave Smith in that position would show the libertarian party what's up because they are just like a cookie cutter wannabe of the conservative. It's not a good thing. So for, for Smith to go in there and bring that disruption, that's going to bring about growth. It's only when we're in times of complexity and struggle that we're truly growing anyway. So if libertarianism and liberty itself is to exist five years from now, we got to all step up because if you've seen Klaus Schwab's plans, like I have all his books, I've read their plans. It's not a good plan. And at first I was like, ah, sure. But you watch this dude do it. Like he's been doing it. 50 years and he was a chosen one and it was the club of rome that wrote a paper about scarcity in the future and they're like we need to create this group uh we need to have a world forum and the following year aurelio pache and all the people that were in on that document created the world economic forum so they've been doing this longer than my lifetime yep. just slightly longer and if you want to go on a longer trail you go back to 1902 at cecil rhodes's last one testament or you just go to 1913 so it's either 120 years or 109 years that we have been slowly whittled down. So to answer the question of optimism, if we didn't stand such a good chance, they wouldn't have to do all these things against I us. Totally they wouldn't agree, have to man. Right. We, you, yeah. me, we'd yeah. be in the gulags. We'd all have fucking vax. We'd all have vax IDs and on our phones and we'd have to show it everywhere. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's little things going because we, we as a humanity, we have we learn things the hard way every time. We we as a whole have to learn it the hard way. So you know we realize you know nine eleven boom planes hit. We're like it's got to be these people that live in tents in the desert who pull off this amazing aerial feat that most pilots who've been doing it thirty years are like I could nobody could do this but these people who live in sand on deserts somehow pulled off this incredible aerial feat knocked down uh, two buildings that have more steel in it than any other buildings on the planet but somehow they just miraculously went down in a way that looks like a demolition but no way it's these sand people that have done this and now these Chinese people are just falling for no reason and it's got to be the coronavirus that that's doing this and we have to 
can fucking trust these people that we didn't elect to have our best interests, even though they completely lied to us about HIV and AIDS. But this time they're being honest with us. And we, we learn this all the time, the hard way, but we do, in my humble opinion, learn. And, they and we keep- learn fast once we start getting it, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. They yeah. start fucking pulling this shit and they yeah. try to pull it. You remember? And I say it all the time, but you remember they're like, Iran attacked our drone. And we're, we're like, oh no. my God, the poor drone's family. Like they, the guy's just trying to feed his drone family and take care of a family and raise a drone family. And they, and these Iranians are shooting him down when all he's doing is protecting his country. It's like, we got to go in there and kill these people. And it's like, no, dude, you lied to us about what happened with weapons of mass destruction and we as a country committed genocide in the middle east that will be paid back trust me on that spiritually you do not kill a million people and there's not fucking blowback so the deterioration that's happening all around us is a spiritual one now when they're again we say this all the time when they're like you know it's like the the fucking loose morals people getting weird with each other's why all these empires felt nope greed greed is always it you read tragedy and hope which man i would love i love that you're on because i know you're a real expert in tragedy and hope and we've we've uh wanted to do a giant show on that but man you read the first 10 pages of tragedy and hope you're like oh dude this is all scripted and it's been the playbooks are done over and over and over again you know the episode with um with our boy Aaron C from we talk about dead people the, the you know the peasant riots of 1381 you know this mysterious book that gives away all these fucking secrets you know and the gates being open wow hey guys i want to tell you about our friends at helix listen you spend most of your life on your bed right some of us a little bit more than others. Am I right, everybody? Come on. Most of that it. Means a lot I, of it. That means I drop a lot of hammer out there. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, yeah, yeah there we go. And I want to oh, And got listen, it, dude. So I take my sleep and I take my mattress very, very serious. And that's why I'm so happy that Helix Sleep is sponsoring the show. That's right. Helix Sleep has a quiz that will take just two minutes to compete and matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you everyone's unique and everyone knows that so they have several different mattress models to choose from they have soft medium firm mattresses mattresses great for for cooling you down if you sleep hot and even helix plus mattresses for our plus size folks not me anymore okay daddy is getting in shape i like what kind of like what kind of mattress you guys like Firm because I give it firm. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. it soft. I like I like, I like it soft too. I do it like when you're staying at a hotel and it's just like yeah. sleeping yeah. on a cloud. Yeah. I'm all about that softness. Okay, so if you want a better mattress, if you're looking for a mattress, just take the quiz. You order the mattress that will you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to you to your door, ship for free. You don't even need to go to mattress store anymore, which are all obviously money laundering things, right? <laughs> Would we agree on that? Yeah, 100%. You ever go by a mattress store? Nobody's in it. Yeah, it's still open. Money laundering, not Helix Sleep. They're the real deal. So here's what I want you guys to do, okay? Just go to helixsleep.com slash tinfoil and take the two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, okay? Real quick, real simple. Helix is offering 
up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash tinfoil. Get it, sleep better, get weird, enjoy your life. Guys, we've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto. But did you know that it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest. You simply do what he does. So let me tell you about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship, has over 17,000 subscribers and 1 million views. Since March 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put $100 into each one, it would now be worth more than $53,000. Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, is currently up over 440 times from when he named it. That one call alone has retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify it yourself. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com slash TFH. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said here, but our listeners can get full access for just $1. You won't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because it ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash TFH. That's TFH. Don't take this offer lightly. James is the real deal. Go visit the site now. This has been going on a long time. So uh, the, the gates being open and the secrets getting out. There was, um, there's, a quote, there's a quote from uh, Alexander the Great, his teacher, Aristotle, is publishing a book on rhetoric and thinking and Alexander the great writes in this letter and he's like, uh, I'll, I'll translate in the modern phrase. He's like, Hey, um, Aristotle, what's up? I hear you're publishing this book and this book's <laughs> going to give people the capacity that I use to rule over them. And how do you think that I can rule over them, uh, r- rule over them if you give them what I am excellent in? So he's chastising his teacher saying, don't publish this book. Because you're giving away the secrets of literacy, of thinking, of communication. These are very powerful things, and they should not be given to average people or slaves. Nothing's changed since then, man. The schooling system is set up as indoctrination, as you guys well know. Um, I didn't get to read the Gulag Archipelago going to public school. I didn't get to read it at university. It was not prescribed to me. So later on in life, I carved out time over a summer, and I read... I pulled too many of them. There's three of these volumes, right? Jesus, bro. You read three right? of them? Yeah, there's three of these, right? So if I pull them out, this Fuck. stack's going to fall behind would you here, say? But- would you say, XG, that one book is more pages than you've read in your life? In the last 10 oh. years. Easy. Yeah, Easy. I, I mean, I went Johnny, to high school. You, I mean, you, I went to high school. Oh, no, I've read more pages than that. Yeah, Johnny Lately, reads. though, Johnny, I feel like Not you've been for a running well, and gunning. Well, do internet... Do, yeah, articles no, on the internet count i read a big okay, one okay good point because then you you're reading a lot too. Books, though, too right you guys listen to audiobooks yeah, yeah, right? yeah i just yeah I there you go um in the third volume so the first two volumes like that these big thick books uh it's it's a real downer story the story of the gulag archipelago you get to the third volume and these people start to figure out how they're being enslaved what the communication mechanism between the organs of the state and and them being persecuted are and uh, you have the the breakthrough where they say, oh, if we take out this this piece in the communication system, the organs of government 
no longer have any control over us whatsoever. So in that case, the communication mechanism they needed to take out were stool pigeons, duplicitous individuals among them that were informing the, the government and they can come in and get the problem people out. And once they took out the stool pigeons, they then took over the camps. They had the people running the camps, hiding in their offices from the prisoners. They took over the camps all because of a couple small moves that they made along the way. And it's interesting because today we don't have to take out physical people. There's no stool pigeons. We carry them around in our pockets. They're like these supercomputers called phones, right? So uh, the elements of the gulag that are, I think, the most relevant aren't the suffering and the trying and trying and trying and failing and failing and failing. It's that eventually they rose to the top. They figured out the system. They asserted themselves. They asserted their freedom. They took over the camps. They ended that system. Yeah, and I think about that all the time, man. Like, you know, I was just talking to these guys about I was walking around Hollywood Boulevard, and there was a gay pride. I didn't know it. I was just walking around, and everybody had rainbow. I'm like, what is going on, man? And it's just like, you, just, you know, it's like, so you have these this this small well-funded group of people that are amplified to make it seem like they're everywhere all the time. In reality, they're a very small group. A very and, small group, and they're not everywhere all the time, but they are certain strategic places yes. at the right times. Yes. So I brought you guys a it's couple of where the cameras are, by the way. That, it's called where the cameras are. Those are the strategic <laughs> places that they are all the time. Right, and they're positioned. Like, this is it. They're positioned. Well, no, purposely. I mean, you see it all the time. You see it like when there are these big protests somewhere that the, that the media wants you to know about. And it's all just about framing of the camera because, you know, they just go tight on 10 people and it looks like it's a crowd of 100. Well, yeah. You know? I told you that about Portland, man, when I was performing there in the middle of the shit. I'm like, where is everything going on? The, the, the local comics who were my friends are like, dude, we haven't seen any protests. I'm like, really? Because it looks like it's Beirut yeah. here. But it's and not it's not only the left. It's also the right because the right also goes there and documents media. it. And right. puts it on their social media and promotes Two it. Like, look how much. Yeah, bird. it's the same shit. Like, I, and they do it all the time. Drives ratings. Yeah. For both what sides. makes this show great is you guys know that. You see the left-right paradigm and you stop playing that. Now you see them both. Like, they do a little bit on both sides, right? So you have to be discerning. You have to look at all the evidence. You have to weigh it for yourself to make informed choices, decisions, judgments in life. These sort of things come to salient conclusions that reflect reality. And in order to do that, I advise like the way I've done it over the past couple decades is I like to get the artifacts from reality. What is the evidence? Right? So I brought you guys a special piece of evidence today, but before I can show you this, I got to tell you a short story. Ooh. Once upon a, once upon a time in the late 1800s, there was a, a very powerful press magnate in journalism uh, over in Britain. His name was William T. Stead. And William T. Stead became famous not only for being in charge of newspapers and being influential, but he did the first ever interview, something we see and take for granted every day. He, his interview with the, was with a British general named Gordon, who had subjugated India. And in like 1886, they get together, they publicize the results of their interview. It was total propaganda on their part to build the empire, but that's the origin, right? So William T. Stead, he then becomes friends with this guy, Cecil Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes was someone who was uh, funded by the Rothschilds, goes down to South Africa, takes over and consolidates all these mines, makes De Beers, which was a monopoly, has some gold mines, dies at an early age, 
uh, like 41. And he's friends with Rudyard Kipling, who was an imperialist, Freemason, spy type guy. So um, uh, Rudyard Kipling, Rhodes, William T. Steed, Stead, some people say it's Steed. Uh, they're thinking about how to serve the empire. Now, Freemasonry has a goal. British Empire has a goal. So what Rhodes did was he became uh, useful to those bigger, larger groups, a secret society and an empire, and maybe even the financing family behind him, the Rothschilds. So he's satiating the, he's kind of like Machiavelli helping yep. the, the Medicis. Yep. So Rhodes is facilitating, not his goal. He believed in it, but he heard it from John Ruskin and Os Oxford and Conan Doyle also had this goal. So there was a lot of British people that wanted America back into the empire. And Rhodes said, let me take my immense wealth and create the Rhodes scholarships and a secret society for the purpose of bringing America back into the empire so they could take over the world. This started in 1902. Now, William T. Stead died in 1912 on the Titanic. There's a memorial to him in Central Park, even though he's a British, British press magnate. I have William T. Stead's own copy of the book called The Last Will and Testament of Cecil Rhodes with elucidatory notes added by the, uh, to the text by the editor, who is William T. Stead. So I'm going to show you an artifact. I bought this from the guy who bought Stead's Review of Reviews library, and this is something you can find online. So even though I'm just going to show you a rare book, you can find the PDF readily. So let's try like oh, this. Here we go. Nice camera angle. Yeah. I got this too. Let's see. Let's see if it work like that. Whoa. Uh, oh, oh. Yeah. See, Woo, somebody's futuristic. Hat, fancy. I'm setting a new bar. All right. So last will and Testament Cecil Rhodes by William T. Stead. Someone once paid 75 bucks back in the pencil days. And then here's the, uh, Here's a picture of Rhodes. That's what he looked like. Here's the title page. And there's a lot of juicy quotes from here. And I'm not going to bore you guys with all the evidence of the New World Order. But I'm just going to read like from this one page right here. I think it was. Because I, I found this. Here we go. No, that's not it. I might have to go to the, the standard. There was a the interest excited by the publication of the daily papers of the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes justifies and explains the appearance of this volume for the marginal like notes in the margin and footnotes, as well as for the chapters describing the political and religious ideas of Mr. Rhodes. No one is responsible, but the editor and that's William T. Stead. So this is Stead's book and we can check out Rhodes's writings, conversations, correspondence. He has his last will and Testament on page three. So let's go to page three. You guys can actually see here's the last will and Testament. Here's his burial place. And when you go through this book, now this is one of the few books I haven't highlighted because of the, the value of it. Usually I just mark up a book. Um, he created the scholarships at Oxford. Yeah. We get into page like 70 or 65 up here is, uh, here we go. On this page, like so if, so if you did a freeze frame or I could even, uh, let's go back full screen and zoom in for you. Damn, look at this guy. Right, they're starting to work. Workout Rhodes stated when he got to Africa, he read out his ideas and he got influenced by Lord Rothschild. And this is William T. Stead review of reviews. So the guy that I got this book from, he bought the entire library when that went out of business and had it. And I found him. And so here, page 64, this is Rhodes in his own words. Please remember the key idea discussed with you is a society copied from the Jesuits as to organization, the practical solution, a differential rate and a copy of the United States constitution 
for that is home or home ruler federation. So they're saying we can be in charge or we can federate America in and have the house of commons in America and like split it between there. And then the world that America is in the forefront. So they're saying America is in the forefront of developing tariffs. And then he goes on to develop the plan. Now, Stead is his co-conspirator. So this is literally a conspiracy because Stead, in his own words, he's like, yeah, Rhodes and I came up with this whole plan. So we have some of it in those, his own words. And it, here, here's a, like a money shot, page 73. What an awful idea. Well, I'm sorry. What an awful thought it is that if we had not lost America or even now could arrange with the present members of the United States Assembly in our House of Commons, the peace of the world is secured for all eternity. So what he's saying is, like, if we could just get America back into the empire, we could take over the world and secure peace. That's a good reason. That's why a lot of people get into this plan. They're like, we want world peace. This is what they mean. They mean an English speaking world. They called their idea the English speaking idea. They wanted the English everything culture to be spread around the world. And Rhodes uh, contributed heavily to this endeavor. So uh, they're talking about American rule and still building up the case for bringing America back into the Republic. And then there's more writings where he talks specifically about the, uh, the Jesuits. Yeah, bro. That, that marker fell out. So my point with that is like, that's an artifact. It's hard to dismiss. It exists in reality, right? There it is. You can read it. Now, Rhodes scholarships a hundred years later, almost you get this book by James H. Billington fire in the minds of men, the origins of revolutionary faith. This is an excellent history book and it is just as big as one of the volumes from Gulag archipelago, right? It's a good thick book. The important part is this guy, he's credible because he's taking these records from the library of Congress. He was the librarian of Congress. He's also a Rhodes Scholar. So this guy, Billington, has impeccable work. You want to learn about the occult origins of organization and the Illuminati and what actually exists and the Pythagorean secret societies and all this sort of stuff. That's great. But he also tells you about like the origins of America and the secret societies and all sorts of other things. One of my favorite references in here is like right about here. Damn, dude. The, The origins of the word intelligentsia. Right. So like that's a word and here it comes into our, our language. This is romantic globalism. This is 1800s. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't figured it out yet, but um, globalism. cybernetics, technocracy, all the origins of all this stuff are in this book. And here's another, this is one of my favorite ones on 231 here at the top. In 1843, B.F. Trentowski invented the word cybernetics to describe the new form of rational social technology, which he believed would transform the human condition in his neglected work, the relationship of philosophy to cybernetics, cybernetics or any part of, or, or the art of ruling nations, right? Get, get what they want cybernetics for. It's the same thing that Plato had cybernetics in his book, the Republic. These people have been working on this stuff for thousands of years and they're getting really close to extinguishing freedom. So I'll continue. Uh, or the art of ruling nations, he also invented the word intelligentsia. So back in 1843, you got cybernetics and intelligentsia, all the things that they've used in the 20th century being developed. So this is a fantastic, like you want to get someone a good gift for Christmas, you go find, they don't sell them new anymore, I think. You get them a used book like this, start marking up some of the pages. I'll show you one more, just real quick. I sent a copy of this. <laughs> I sent a copy of this to Luke Radowski a couple months ago. Because um, we love they're those. always talking they're always talking about civil war on the Timcast, right? They're talking about civil war. I'm like, Hey, here's the letters right before 
the Civil War. It's called A Casual View of America, The Home Letters of Solomon de Rothschild, 1859 to 1861. He was here. Solomon de Rothschild was a 27-year-old scion to the Rothschild banking family. They were interested in opening a bank here in America. Their current representation was um, uh, August Belmont. And August Belmont's son is also called August Belmont, so it can be confusing when you research it. But the point is that August Belmont uh, was the Rothschild handler in America, their, their influencing dealmaker. And he was in charge of the Democratic National Party, which also was supportive of slavery at the time. Now, the conservative party, the Republican Party, comes around like 1858 or something like that because they're an, they're an abolitionist group, right? So there's a culture clash between the Democrats and the new Republicans right around this time. And this young Rothschild kid goes and stays with all the elite families of the North and then all the elite rich families of the South, and he really sides with the South. So in his letters, he calls Lincoln a thief. You can see why they would have a motive to possibly move against him, right? So uh, Confederacy had the favor of the Rothschild banking family. They were not funding the union at that time. Abe Lincoln had to make his own greenbacks because he had, fa- like, he did not uh, take up the international bankers on their offer. And that was part of how the Civil War created. So when you read the letters in here, and when I have a couple episodes where I've done so, um, there's things like the North and South. Here, here it is right here. Let me zoom you in real quick so you can see it. Bam. Johnny, you need one of these. So this is uh, yeah. April 28th, 1861. <laughs> right? Do you guys know when the Civil War started? Xavier? I think it started uh, maybe March 1861. I think it was already going on a couple weeks right now. That's the correct answer. But no, I don't, I don't know. It could have been 1860. No, I think you're right. Uh, let's see. I'll just, like I'll just read that. 1861, guys. I, I, right, cool. I, you know, give you guys enough rope to hang yourself. That's what happened there. All right. <laughs> I didn't like letting you do that, but I had to. <laughs> so, so when I sent it to Luke, I highlighted all the pages. I marked all the pages just like I have in my own copy so he could readily avail himself of such uh, evidence and information. So this is New Orleans, 28 April, 1861. I'm just going to read the highlighted parts and leave out some of the fluff. Having been in both the North and South, having heard all the conceivable arguments in favor of each side, I had the desire to form a completely independent opinion. The abolitionists were the extremist Republicans, the fire, I'm going to get it up on screen, the fire eaters or secessionists, the extremist Democrats. Fanaticism in the extremist parties always went out. And exactly as I expressed in my forebodings to you a long time ago, he's writing letters home to the Rothschilds in Europe and Britain. And so he wrote, wrote home a long time ago. He's been telling them this abolitionism on one side and secession on the other dragged along the moderate neutrals despite themselves. So he's saying this extremism brings people who even don't have a political opinion into the fray. Yeah. The two. Yeah. The two reasons pushed, uh, pushed the people of the North and South to seek to destroy slavery by any means. I'm sorry, the people in the North to, to destroy slavery at any means. The first, which was advanced by those who wished to dazzle, to win over the chivalrous hearts and to gain the sympathies of Europe was a simple humanitarian reason. In a free country like America, there must be no slaves and complete equality must reign in all ranks of society. That's how he perceives it as a European royalist. 
The proof of this reason was not sincere uh, is that the proof that this reason is not sincere is that the abolitionists spent millions to incite uprisings among the slaves or to induce them to flee their masters. But let them die of hunger when they were free and gave oh them no means God, and dude. gave them no means of improving themselves morally. This is 27-year-old Solomon de Rothschild, and this book is printed by Stanford University, 1961, on the centennial. It's by Sigmund Diamond, who also wrote uh, Compromised Campus, about how they corrupted schooling. But the real sentiment that guided them, and that they did not dare to admit at this time, was the spirit of leveling. Everyone must be equal in abjection. Is that going on today? I don't know. They cannot tolerate someone in the South having 200 arms for his use while they only have their own two. This sentiment was the first seed of social revolution, which is at this very moment taking giant strides behind the political revolution. The cause of the South had many supporters. Uh, the cause of the South had many supporters in the North, but these supporters were more inspired with self-interest than one belief. They knew that with the support of the southern states they can never retain power the state of affairs might still have lasted for years if the two so they might not have gone to civil war if the two divisions north and south democratic party had not split the convention so rothschild's guy belmont is running the democratic party splits the convention and kicks off civil war solomon knows this he's just not he doesn't write that part but that's provable in history that he was their bagman here each supporting a different candidate they abdicated power to a third thief lincoln the choice of the Republicans, right? That's motive. They also have money hold on, and opportunity. Hold on, break yeah. that down. What? So the the Rothschilds purposely yes. split up the the Democratic side and allowing, yeah, according the, the, to Solomon de Rothschild in his own letters, which is why Stanford published it a hundred years later. Let me show you like the more. This is I'll show you the money shot for this. Holy book. fuck, bro. It's yeah, like it's all dividing cotton. And that's what I'm saying with all this shit going on right now. These guys don't understand what is happening. They're, uh, they are being mentally manipulated into yeah. f infighting. 100%. 100%. And you see it clearly. Page 123. This is the last quote. If 12 million people want us to see, you can't stop them. So the war that the North is going to wage against the South is an unjust, barbarous, and fratricidal war from the side of the people that support slavery, because that's what side Solomon's on. The North and South will attack each other like two locomotives under a full head of steam meeting on the same track. Nothing will be able to satiate their brutal passion for vengeance, but death and destruction. When the two sections have exhausted all their resources, like the fighting fish in the beginning of Dr. No, no, I'm sorry. When the two sections have exhausted all their resources, when they have seen the flower of their youth die, when millions have been engulfed into the bottomless pit of civil war, they will find themselves again at the same point from which they started now, moreover, with a yawning gap between them and they're broke and they've lost the flower of their youth and next generation. It'll be necessary to end the war, to write a treaty, to grant mutual concessions for no matter who the conqueror will be, there will be no vanquished. Each side will struggle, struggle to the bitter end for the rights it claims to have. Right. And so seeing clearly from the banker's perspective as they foment this whole civil Holy war in America. Shit, dude. Can I just say that this is so interesting because at this point, you know, if it, 1861, nobody thought that the civil war was going to be what it became right. at that point. 
Right. None, none, none of the generals. I mean, right. there were a few. There were a few generals that had the foresight to imagine it, but none of the politicians. I mean, you see at Bull Run, the, you know, the first major battle of the Civil War, that we've talked about this before. There were there were uh, people come down from Washington to picnic for the battle. You know, they thought, oh boy, we're gonna have the big battle, and then it's gonna be all over. Everybody's gonna go home. Uh, the idea that he, I mean, this tells you that this person really really had some understanding of of you know the nature of America at the time. That they had and the he died shortly after that. He didn't live beyond his 30s, I don't think. So yeah, they're like, dude, power. you don't write this book, bro. What are you writing this book for? Now we know everything. Now you're telling well, them everything. Well, they were the private letters. They were the private oh. letters to like Lionel de Rothschild and the French Rothschilds. So the interesting thing is, here's one of the most valuable things I can share with your audience that they can get access to right now. The Rothschild family has an archive. It's online. You can go read these letters for yourself. You can find new interesting stuff. You can write new books. There is so much to be. So it's rothschildarchive.org, I believe. Just type in the Rothschild Family Archive. You're going to see the English speaking one. You're going to see the French one. Uh, it, it's, it's fantastic what they have out there. And um, the ability to just like cruise through there. I used a, a timeline from there recently in a presentation called the underground history of America. And I just used the Rothschilds timeline in their own words. And I'm like, here's what they say about themselves. So I just think that needs to be more widely recognized and known. And I'm not uh, attaching any accuse accusations or anything, you know, I'm just saying they exist. They're doing these things. You should be up to speed on what the history is of the people behind currently inclusive capitalism in the world. You know, inclusive capitalism, uh, ESG, all these things that are being supported by The Economist, the London School of Economics, that's all their sphere of influence. And they, it's like top down. Reuters, they've been working with Reuters since the 1840s. They had um, the Rothschilds had their own courier pigeon network, which allowed them to translate uh, money across seas, like the first kind of bank transactions they can send from one bank to another bank. They would write in Yiddish, they would attach it to a carrier pigeon, they would send it over. The corporate front of that, what became known as Reuters, and then Reuters from that quickly within like 10 years uh, started to telegraph, and then that became the preferred method of transit. But prior to that, the Rothschild carrier pigeon network was used by Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, like all the highest echelon people. And that also gave them strategic advantage in financial transactions of the international variety, which they really kind of pioneered. Which is unbelievable. It's just so freaking crazy. It's right there in your face. And it's just like, if you fast forward to today, you see what's going on. My question to you is this, Richard. Like, I keep hearing about this civil war, this race war, all this stuff. And for me, it's like, it just seems like one side is way bigger than the other. And what's going to come down to this, and it always comes down is to... Who is like the right versus left? There's way more right than there is left. There just is, man. There just is. You have L.A., New York, and and San Francisco. Maybe you throw Chicago in there. That's a lot of people. Wait, right? what do you what do you, I mean, you mean? Voters? But not in terms of voter. But if you said <laughs> let's more have a war Democrat. right now, there are more registered Democrats than there are. If you voters. had a war right now, I mean, let alone who's got the guns? Who gives a fuck how many people well, there? Who's got the guns? Yeah, I. You know, so my whole thing it, it, it's going to come down to. You know, police versus like, right? Or like 
military and police versus the right. Is that kind of how you see it? Play? And like, and I don't see. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think you. If it really came to let's civil say war, it's going about to pop off. How do you see well, it playing out? I think if it really came to civil war, you would see a lot of the police and the military go home to their families. Uh, just, I mean, they would. I think they would. They would. They would. Uh, All the pretenses of wokeness would be dropped. Yeah. Right. Would, so who is on the left? That has this war happen. Well, you'd have a few people, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying there'd still be people that would, you know, see it as their, you know, following their oath to, to, to do right. that. Right. There's but not enough people black people. Home. There's not enough gay people. There's not enough, like, the, the, the elites. Well, they kids would use international are, troops. The, the answer to that question was defined back with the Red Dawn days that you want foreign troops that don't speak our language, that don't empathize with our screams and pleas and begging and all the things that goes on in those types of gulag archipelago situations. They would use a United Nations force first yeah. they would say economy crash good they would say civil war better and then that gives them an excuse send in an international peacekeeping team and the united nations needs to become a global union and i'm sure it'll be english speaking just like it is now like 40 votes in in the united nations are countries with the queen on their money man it's a rigged game and if Amer like trump got it like for better or for worse he got us out he was talking about getting us out of united nations and world health organization these sort of things and i didn't vote for him and i'm not on board with that but that was a good stroke because those internationalist organizations united nations world health organization world economic forum council on foreign relations bilderberg group trilateral commission are all working under the guise of cecil rhodes's last will and testament and that's the inner circle that's tying all those things together and there's a lot of great scholarship on this. Like my buddy Jay Dyer could rap to you for hours and hours about like analysis of the pages and tragedy and hope. But I just tell people like, that's a good thing. First off to have that knowledge. But I tell people read tragedy and hope one-on-one by Joe Plummer. He'll, he'll summarize the Anglo-American establishment and this sizable tome tragedy and hope, the history of the world in our time by Carol. That Quigley, book is 1966. insanity, dude. Ten pages, man. You're like, but holy he fuck, was, bro. Okay, so the guy who wrote this book, he has a funny name, Carol. His name is Carol Quigley. He taught at Georgetown's uh, uh, School of Foreign Service, the Shout Edmund A. Walsh Q. School of Foreign Service. He was trained by a Rhodes Scholar. He was in contact with a whistleblower from the inner circle, the Rhodes Roundtable. He then mentored Bill Clinton while he was going through the Council on Foreign Relations archives for 20 years to write this book. And this other book that he wrote, The Anglo-American Establishment, clearly has America in distress being overtaken by the British empire. He would not publish his book during his life. He would only let it be published posthumously. He died in 77. This came out in 81. This came out in 66. He wrote this in 1948. Okay. These are real people doing real things in the world. And he was really that scared. But if you read this book, you get all the names and places like, or, or a great place to start out is James Corbett's world war one conspiracy. And the official story of World War One is a conspiracy anyway. So just get over that. Get into like the facts. Like World War One, from my perspective, is Lord Milner's second war. And Lord Milner was the chief guy carrying out Cecil Rhodes's last will and testament. There's L Lord Milner and Lord Curtis. And you can hear Quigley himself talking to uh, a 1976 uh, New York Times reporter named Rudy Maxa, where he admits all this stuff. So it's not even like conspiratorial or vague or it's just that people don't know. So I've made it my job for the past 16 years. So everywhere I go, I'm like, 9-11's not an inside job. It's a multi it's an international job. And it's like the United States, Britain, Israel, NATO. There's a whole bunch of groups that are in it, plus all the corporations, AIG, Kroll Associates, Marsha McLennan. 
whole bunch of places for people to dig into these things. But as long as they keep using conspiracy theory as the excuse not to actually read a book or start to think for themselves or start to map out reality, they're going to continue to make decisions that do not pan out. They're going to continue to do things that do not add up to happiness or success or safety, yes, security or dude. health. Yes. Yes. We have to be properly yes. informed and we know they undermined our school system. Yep. It's not an education system. They undermined us and now we can take it back, learn how to communicate, learn how to listen, learn how to think, learn how to take strategic actions that add up to your goals and do that consistently. And that's antithetical to everything that globalists or new world order types of people want us to be doing. They want us to be scared. They want us to be inactive. They want us to be fighting with each other. And I refuse to give those pricks the satisfaction. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with all this, man. I agree with all this. Uh, the UN is 100% going to be used to, to fucking go to war with us on our soil. Everyone needs to wake up to that. that and is, they've been trying to take away our guns since like 1960s, Sammy. Yeah, 100%, dude. And they're pushing it real hard now. Hey, surprise, surprise. 10 Republicans <laughs> voted for gun control. You guys got to get out of this fucking R's and D's. You got to yes. stop thinking these people. Anybody that wants to run for public office on a federal level should be stared at with skepticism. And then the ones who want to run on state level should be stared at with skepticism, okay? You should question all these people. You know, I'm a libertarian. I'm now officially libertarian, right? I, I, I signed up for that. That I, I, You know, I'm an old school liberal. I think if you look at old school liberal values, it's very much into what liberal libertarianism, man. For uh, And John, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that's my real belief. No, you, that's true, and it's backed up, backed up with facts. The, the origins of the word liberal... Liber comes from Latin. It means book. And it also, so it's a noun and it means book. You learn stuff, but it's also a verb and it means to free. So um, I got this freedom uh, sweatshirt that I designed and it's like the Ramones with the, the presidential seal, but I changed it all around. So it says freedom. And in there it has um, the book. And it has uh, like the, the, the magnifying glass and the writing, the things you would have to do to learn to make yourself free. And then it has a bird, you know, in the logo, it has a bird, but it, the bird's escaping a cage. And you're doing that through learning. So liberalism uh, originally, like 100 years ago, was a really great thing. And it meant freedom for people, respecting yes. other people's freedom. And you yes. get freedom. It's a very libertarian idea. Yeah. And, they are, you know, so these ideas, these concepts, they have been our definitions have been changed in the 20th century all throughout you go back to Frankfurt school type of influences, but they just did it throughout the pandemic with the definition of pandemic definition of a case definition of all these different things. And it's like, when they change the definitions, that should alert people right there. They're taking control of the game. That's an offensive move. That's a, that means war when they're doing that and people have accepted it and accepted it and hoped it would go away, but it's not going away. They have plans for the next couple of decades and it doesn't involve America being a free country anymore. It doesn't involve people being able to drive themselves around freely. All the American values, all the great things of our way of life are being scuttled. And there's been people like Charlotte Iserby, uh, worked in the Reagan administration. She wrote a, a book called the deliberate dumbing down of America. It's like a 700 page book. She just passed away recently. Her book, remarkably predicts right where we are right now. The nonprofit international foundations Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie got together to bring America into uh, changing its attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs to be in line, to be merged with communism. 
That's what you see outside every 100%. day. 100%. Yeah. And I yeah. also believe that this whole McCarthyism was done purposefully to demonize people who call, call out all this uh, Marxism and communism. They did that purposely to make it look like you're stupid, right? So then you get into also, you, you start to get into this satanic panic shit, right, of the 80s, where everyone was like, oh, getting accused of Satanism, and everyone's like, these stupid Christians. And you're like, if you actually look back at what they were saying, they're spot on. Even Tim Dillon, a gay man, said that the 80s Christians were fucking right 100% in it. And it's all useful idiot shit. It's all these people don't realize they are being used to do the hard work. It is my theory. Um, like your average Israeli, right, is being bombarded with propaganda that everyone around them hates them so that they do they fight this holy war on behalf of the bankers who are trying to control the land bridge that fucking Israel represents. The easiest way to get goods from Africa and, and Asia into Europe. It's all be it's all manipulation, man. It's all yeah. manipulation. There was a good documentary a couple years ago called Defamation by a documentarian who is Israeli called Yoav Shamir. And in there, he kind of shows like the trauma-based mind control that is projected onto its own citizens. And that's not even oh, talking I about saw the Palestinians. This. I saw this Dude, doc. It was, oh, it's wild. Yeah, right? it's so revealing. Talks, yeah, his grandmother. Like, yeah, there was a whole bunch of people in there that I remember kind of viscerally because I was like, I had no idea, but it yeah. makes a lot of sense. A lot of false events, no. right? And 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 trumped up uh, yeah. shit. To Dude, make, I mean, like, I mean, yeah. I'm not getting it's into any Holocaust shit, League but and, and just think sense. about how much the Holocaust is a part of the identity of judaism today man just how big a part of that is i mean you have people i, I talked to i uh, my buddy's wife was on who does only fans we were talking about that she's jewish and she's like yeah you're raised up is like have two one for you one for your mate and then one for a person lost in the holocaust i mean like think about that yeah it's slavery is the same thing for it's black mental america, slavery yeah. it's, no i mean it's the same as slavery for black america you know that's yeah. brought up as 100 like it was yesterday 100 you know? this beating down of this whole thing that this group of people all hate you and it happens to white people as well you have these people who are just like you know white people are always racist all this stuff and it's just it's just like it's kind of crazy right now dude it's just it's crazy times and it's all being done purposefully to break us all up and get us all to fight with each other man and i for me it's just like you know i, I want to get into this because i you know my parents were both teachers and they used to go to work and, you know, they, Mike can tell you that my parents, for as crazy as they were, loved helping children like learn. That mm. does, and what we've done now is we've taken away money and making any money in teaching right now. And what these people do is they basically become teachers because they have the thought of helping kids. They get into the system and they're getting paid 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year in modern day so they could have summers off. And no, no, no supplies. I remember my teacher literally like, telling me that she would that. go out of her money and waste money to buy yeah. us markers. That would be like, I mean, that's dedication. Think that's love. that and that's, why you know, that is done. Yeah, even if you want to be a teacher in the system and help kids, they've got Common Core. And if I could just uh, just take you over here for a minute, I got, I got to show you this. Uh, I'm going to type in uh, Common Core real quick. You guys can't see that box, but I'm going to bring it up. Common Core, Common yes. Cards. There we go. Standards Initiative. All right. The guy who came up with Common Core, let me stretch this out a little bit. 
uh, is a Rhodes Scholar. So when you start to understand that key to the Anglo-American establishment and then you look into these things, and I'm not saying uh, this is not, uh, you know, recognizing a pattern that's not there. There's like, uh, there's names for those types of phenomenon. This is like evidence-based. So his name's David Coleman. Here he is, right here. David Coleman, he's a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, and Bill Gates is also in on Common Core. So you can't even get away from these people who are trying to change the world. They're involved in all these areas, you know? They're taking over the educational system. Now, uh, the, Rock, the, the Rhodes Scholars are based out of Oxford University. I have a friend. He's on in years now. He's probably all, almost 80. He's from South Africa. He was a political prisoner in South Africa. He was a mentor in medical school to Steve Biko, who helped to create the Black Consciousness Movement. There's a famous movie called Cry Freedom uh, with Kevin Klein and Denzel Washington. And if you don't know who Steve Biko is... That'd be a great treat for yourself this week, too. Um, Biko had this idea that the greatest weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. And that idea rings true today. Now, my friend who, who helped to mentor Biko, um, being a political prisoner in South Africa during apartheid is not an easy thing to do. He finds a way to get out. So a lot of people make excuses, and I'm not saying those who make excuses are bad people. I'm just saying this guy had no excuses in him. He's from India. His family lives in South Africa. His political ideas got him into political prisoner status, just like Steve Biko. And spoiler alert, the British government tortures and kills Biko at the end. You should know that. That's why maybe why you should watch that movie. You should find out that story. My buddy, who is a political prisoner, gets out of South Africa. He finds a way into Oxford. Because he wants to learn what is this empire that's ruling over us and making us slaves. He wants to know it from the inside out. He graduates from Oxford. He then went to Cambridge, graduated from there. So he's got a big brain, but he's pretty socialist. He's like communist leaning. He's against empire, though. He's pro-freedom. I can relate to him on these aspects, right? So I've interviewed him several times over the years. And what we think the American flag represents here is totally different than how people have recognized it around the world. Of course. Once upon a time... America's flag, I mean, it starts with the opium trade and us copying the East India Company's flag so we can go into Canton and get opium still because Eastern establishment families in America, all their wealth was based on opium. But beyond that, our flag through the 1800s was assigned a symbol. It was a symbol of hope, freedom, liberty, all these sort of things. Rhodes's buddy, Rudyard Kipling, get, helps to get America into internationalism in 1898 with Spanish-American War. And he writes a poem called The White Man's Burden. And it says, hey, uh, America, you're white, too, and it's your job to subjugate the brown people of the world. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of his poetry, right? And he's a good imperialist friend of Cecil Rhodes. They're both Freemasons. they got a lot going on. So he's, like, writing this to encourage America to kind of – and there's cartoons about it, too. If you look up the political cartoons about the white man's burden back then that they ran, there's some racist shit. But it's not America. It's the institutionalized racism of the British Empire that never went away. They never fought for their freedom. They never got a constitution. Neither did Canada. You just see they got, got their guns taken away last week. No more guns because they don't have a constitution. This country was founded differently. The mentality of the people here is something that the people trying to oppress us do not understand. They don't understand freedom. Otherwise, they'd probably embrace it. They only know monarchy. They're like the people in China who have been bred as slaves. They're not yeah. freedom-minded. They think freedom's a threat. So if freedom's not going to be extinguished now or in the next 10 years, 
we all got to raise our game. We got to up our intellect. We got to have better communication and we got to be making stronger offers to the world more consistently. Otherwise we got to go to them and beg for a paycheck and some golden handcuffs. And maybe we can eat the, the white trays of mold and the bugs they're growing for the UN Listen, food, food drives right now. You are on fire right now and you're totally right. And I want to go back to what Cecil Rose represents to me and what we're really yeah. getting away from, which is, you know, it is of my belief that I had a I had a, a relative who wanted to be a cop at one point, you know, and he would go and he's the nicest guy and he would go take these psychological tests and he would fail them to become a cop. And I'm like, why aren't they want this kid? He's the nicest kid in the world. Level headed, dude. Why does he want that? Well, because they don't want that. They yes. want red line instantly fucking chaos right there because that's who they want to send out when they're coming for the rich people right that's what they want so we and like i take a look at these in hollywood all the time i look at a lot of these people that are fucking flourishing right now i go why are these fucking psychopath fucking scumbags killing it right now because that's what they want to push they want these people doing their dirty work. So these Rothschilds see the Cecil Rose closet homosexual, which they could fucking manipulate, right, to control. And they know he's a psychopath that, wants, that will do whatever they want him to do. He'll do, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing across all these boards. And that's why, you know, Eddie says all the time, everything has to be exposed. And, you know, sometimes you go, okay, what are you talking about? And then I go, you know what? He's fucking right. He's fucking right. All this shit is being exposed. We are living in a time, and I, I was watching Jimmy Dore the other day. He's like, dude, I think it's turning. And I think he's <laughs> right. I would, I'm going to recommend you, Richard, to uh, Jimmy Dore. I'd love to see if I could help make that happen. Cause I yeah, think we watch Jimmy all the time. We play his clips. He's, he's he, hysterical. And he's he better love, news than all those other places, like a guy in his garage. And he's coming to got, our side. Yeah, he, he'll brain, never man. get him into moon landing. And that's, this probably isn't your stuff either, but the moon landing and all that stuff. I, I do. I, he asked me to do a show all the time. And then I'm always like five years from now, Jimmy's like, explain to me how they got that golf cart on the fucking moon. Explain to me that. But the point is that he's more and more opening. Like he sent me, he's the one who sent me the whole thing about the 31 year white supremacists that were on their way to the gay pride parade. Oh, and luckily the FBI who seems to let everybody else the I was able to stop it. Yay, FBI. Thank you for helping us. Right? They were able to stop We just them. told our 28 undercover agents to turn the turn the van around. That was that's how we stopped them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That and know, like, you know they were at least And he's going at Instagram least and you just see all these fucking outlaws going, Can you believe these guys are going to gay pride? It's like, dude, how do you like are you a goldfish? Are you a goldfish? Do you not retain any information from what's happened over the last six years? The, the fucking Michigan governor case should have you question anything you ever see on the news. But you don't because you're too busy fucking keeping up with your favorite OnlyFans. And, and they repeat it so much. That's the other thing, Sammy. They repeat it so much. It's just it's like. Even if you had the knowledge, like the, the Michigan thing, that's serious, where the FBI basically had like 14 out of 17 people involved were their informants. <laughs> that's a long train of abuses. I can go back. I mean, we can go back a long way, but let's go back to 1992 or 1993 World Trade Center bombing. 
There is a tape that exists. You can listen to it right now between Imad Salem and his FBI agent handler, John Antisev, agent Antisev. It's like 24 minutes. And in there, the guy who uh, was the informant says, you told us to use a fake bomb, but you gave us a real bomb. And what's up with that? And he's also trying to collect his expenses. And the FBI is pretty tight from that call on their expenses for such things. <laughs> so there's a, it was introduced in court. Um, uh, what's the, I forget the, the lawyer's name, Kuby. Uh, I think it was Ron Kuby. K-U-B-Y. There was a case in New York. This is all on the record. You can go to Wikipedia, type in E-M-A-D-S-A-L-E-M, Imad Salem. You can hear the call yourself. I learned this from my buddy Jason Burmis back in 2006. I was incredulous. I came home. I listened to it. and I was like, wow, but that's one dot. Now let's up our ante. There's a, a book you can get on Amazon right now called Terror Factory Inside the FBI's Manufactured War on Terror by Trevor Aronson, who's a journalist down in Tampa. In that book, he shows that almost every terrorist event after 9-11 that they used to scare us were FBI informants all involved and they were all created so they could advance their budgets. Not my argument, not my opinion. That's in Trevor's book. He's a journalist. People can check it out. So there's a lot of these things that have happened over the years, but I also wanted to touch back on your comment on Rhodes. Uh, I got no problem that Rhodes was a, a single man who was uh, pensioned for homosexuality, buggery, whatever they call it. Hey, dude, banging ass. All you my want, problem, I don't care. My problem is that he created something called the Lavat Scouts because Rhodesia is named after Cecil Rhodes. They were training soldier kids in the woods alone with these older guys. And when you look into the people who founded the Boy Scout Scouting Movement, International oh Movement, God, Boy Scouts dude. of America, you're going to get back to Cecil Rhodes and his close group of friends. And that's also a, a hallmark of Damn. British intelligence using people's sexuality to compromise them. Yes. And it's always used. What they can't stand is when people use it for power. They like it. But when you use it out of love, they hate it. So if you're using homosexuality in your life uh, out of love, great. But th that's how they, they they would see that as a threat. I don't see that as a threat. They would see it as this is something you control people with, with blackmail. And, 100%. And all, can, can you explain what you mean by using it out of love? Do you know what, I mean? yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Using it out of love? It's I normal. didn't quite understand it. Just, just normal like love, right? Like if you're just yeah. a gay yeah. guy, yeah. Gay they're guy. like, oh, okay. I mean, like, dude, if you yeah. listen to Bill Cooper, he breaks it all down. Like, like their whole goal was to turn everybody gay and then kill the gays. That's It's right there in like all this paperwork that Bill Cooper talked about. HIV and all that stuff. And we get into whatever that really represents. But the whole thing was get people to buy into the gay lights, homosexuality, and then fucking tell them they have AIDS and make them take fucking AZT that kills them. It's a hard it's sell. Well, I got Cooper's Jam right here. This was one of the first books I read back in the day. Like after I became a whistleblower and I started looking for myself and not depending on my education to tell me where what like what was the terrain. I bumped into this book. Everyone talks about Behold the Pale Horse, and if you buy it, you're going to be put on a list. And one day, <laughs> you know, right after probably 2001. So it's 10 years after this book's been out there. I finally was like, I need to read what's in this book. Now I never never refer to this book as like evidence. I just know that it, it, this book exists and he made some claims in here and I dismiss the messenger and I look at the message and what's the veracity of the artifacts. And when you first read it, you don't know, you don't know heads from tails, but I can tell you that after looking at this book for past 20 years, there's a lot of stuff that Bill Cooper talked about in here. that seems to come to fruition in some way, shape or form. I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying like he got everything right, but he got killed on November 5th, 2001, right after nine 11, and he was shot by police in his front yard, defending his home. 
he had predicted as well as Alex Jones, he had predicted 9-11. He said they're, they're going to do this thing. And if you were watching geopolitics back then, there was a lot of signs there. I have a council on foreign relations, foreign affairs from November, 1996 or 1998 in which the people who wrote the PNAC report that most people point at, like, hey, these guys wanted to do 9-11 and they did it. They wrote a Council on Foreign Relations Foreign Affairs article. It's John Deutsch, who was accused by Mike Rupert of uh, drugs and CIA cocaine. Uh, Philip Zalikow, who ran the 9-11 Commission report. And Ashton Carter, who later became the Secretary of Defense running the Pentagon. So the three people who write this article presciently, right before 9-11, pointing out uh, World Trade Center and New Pearl Harbor and these types of ideas in the same magazine as Bernard Lewis's Osama bin Laden, new enemy number one, right? He wasn't, so like you put these political articles together and look at their agendas ahead of time, it wouldn't be so hard to extrapolate what they're trying to do back then. So I don't think they had crystal balls or magic powers. I think they read the documents that are easily findable and readable. I agree, man. And it's just, once you realize it, it's all a haunted house. But I want to go back to this thing again. It's just like with this guy. I mean, you have to understand, man. Like, they've got this stuff down. They got the data. They're crunching the data. They know who's crazy. They know who's not crazy. They know how to position certain people in certain places. You know, for me, man, like, you know, when you take a look at, like, the rise of Pornhub, right? Pornhub skyrocketed. They used to brag that they got the 50 million subscribers faster than any other website in the history of time, right? And so you go... We take a look at all these other giant tech companies and we go, wow, they have weird intelligence connections, right? You go Amazon, his grandfather was uh, started DARPA. We have Bill Gates and Microsoft and how, their career, how, they, how the Gateses are related to the Maxwells and all, all of that and how the, the Microsoft's whole logo is a swastika. We get into Facebook and LifeLog. I mean, Google and the CIA. Okay, so why wouldn't... Why wouldn't Pornhub be right there like that? If it's the quickest moving fucking website ever in the history of mankind, why wouldn't there have why wouldn't it have some fucking connections? And just think about this, dude. They know what you're watching. And they know what who's commenting on this and who's they know comment- how long you watch it. Yeah. Right? I mean there's no other website. Well, what other website is there? There used to be a bunch back in the day, like all oh, those whole. Now it's just everyone just goes straight to Pornhub. Now Pornhub and OnlyFans has a, a eerily similar kind of feel to MySpace and Facebook, where one just sort of showed up out of nowhere and the other one kind of faded to the side, bombarding Pornhub with all of these fucking all of this these lawsuits and all that stuff because there was such shady shit on there people are like why are you letting that happen well because that's how they found out who was in the weird shit yeah. <laughs> all right so uh, this is the first time hopefully it's the only time this episode i gotta claim ignorance because i've never been to Pornhub. i have a hot wife i haven't seen anything like that I, no one's I have a crippling sex addiction so, so but know. but i can tell you i'm not surprised and here's why i'm not surprised when i worked back in high tech at the turn of the century, everybody wanted to put everything on the web. And I knew all the best web clients were coming out of Maryland. They had these porn server farms. I didn't have a Maryland tech 
uh, tech territory, but my buddies who were raking in just p- purchase orders thrown over the wall. They need more servers. They need more licenses because they couldn't, they couldn't build the servers and assemble them fast enough for people's porn satiation. There has never been anything on the internet make, that makes as much money as that industry. And this, the whole internet as we know it today was formulated and companies had money to do all these things because of all those successful porn servers down in that part of the world back then. Now you can ask me, do you think that was government porn servers? And get, yes, I do. I think the whole thing, the internet, soup to nuts, ARPA to DARPA, man, it's all the same thing. They've got one purpose is cybernetics, transhumanism, technocracy forever. They're doing it. So, so, you know, on this show, a lot, I push back on a lot of things. And, and one of them is that, you know, Gay people are like some kind of demon people. And I push back on that because what that does is push people deeper into the closet. Okay. And when you have people like we've had people on the show that are very famous for their Instagrams and their, and their Twitters, you know, calling out this gay rapper or that gay rapper or this gay person and that gay person. And I go, when you do that, man, you make it easier for people to blackmail people. That's what, that's what it is. Now, are gay people evil? I don't think so. Are there gay people in positions pulling some bullshit? 100%. But it's not because they're gay. It's not because they're gay. They are blackmailed. Like Will Smith. The, all these rappers who are undercover gay that are pushing certain agendas. They're manipulated, dude. They are manipulated and they are used and manipulated because they don't want their secret out. That's why they're used. And you see it happen all the time. I'm sorry, man, but this whole thing with Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland football is a giant example of how people are manipulated for what they do behind closed doors. All right. We live in a country where this mainstream media is pushing on that feminism is chicks doing OnlyFans, right? Oh my God, flick your bean is this like sex positive stuff. Flick your bean, flick for bean. But once a man engages in it, these people who have been telling you that, hey, we don't want to slut shame, now are shaming people who work with sluts. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you go to Houston, most of the people in Houston will tell you that the Houston Astra, the Houston Texans owner is fucking behind all this. And now it's kind of blown up in his face because now we found out that Houston Texans helped him with all this. Guy gave him non-disclosure things to send and all that stuff. And now all oh, 66 women have come forward. Really? A bunch of chicks who give massages and hand jobs are suddenly coming out of the woodwork to get a piece of a giant payday? You don't think so? I mean, I used to with Crystalia. I read so many of the women who came forward. 44 of them. Guess what? They were most of them were all over age. Two of them weren't, and they both got busted manipulating the fucking evidence. You guys, this is done purposefully every time you demonize these people. Now these people and these gay prides and the, these drag queens, these are opportunists. That's what they're doing. They're getting paid money to do these things so they can get filmed and cause everybody to fight with each other. Most people don't want cross-dressers reading to kindergartners but this this issue wedges us i like the alex stein video 
how much did that guy get paid knowing that he was going to end up with all that hate shame? Like, it, he has to do it for more than 100 bucks. Or you well, can't dude, love kids it's like that much. Rude, Rude Paul, everybody, Rude Paul, right? Drag, drag show, the drag race yeah, yeah. show is fucking hilarious. But when she does a show on fucking Netflix where she's sitting, uh, she's the guardian angel to a homeless kid, that's going to cause chaos. And she doesn't care because she's... She's collecting a check. It is a agent provocateur. All these videos you see released are done purposefully. Every time you see a white cop shooting a black person, that is being released purposely. They sit on these videos until they need to cause chaos. Why do you think suddenly now we got school shootings and, and white supremacists showing off the gay pride parades? Because it's midterms. Well, I don't quite understand. Now you're saying that the events aren't happening when we're when they say they're happening. I'll They've tell you the George Floyd thing. Mm. Nobody had masks in that video. No, they they did though. No, I they saw, did. I, I saw a few. They didn't have. Dude, I, know, I remember you saying that to me though, and then I looked at the video. Johnny, and I saw them, and I thought, okay. the cops who showed up did not have masks on. George Floyd did not have a mask on. People in his car did not have masks on. You maybe you could see someone in the far distance. Everybody involved in that did not have masks on. I just remember us talking about that, and we did see some people. It's all manipulation, dude. It's all, I and mean, they know. Th that's what I think Lil Nas on Elmo is. Yes. It's like, how much more, that, like, how oh, much that, more can that, you I mean, manipulate? 100%. That, like, that's it right there. It's all meant to get us to divide and conquer. What they're doing to us is what they did to Russia with the Bolshevik Revolution. Johnny and I, you know, he cleaned up on my my um, timeline on that, so thank you, Johnny, and our personal i'm being serious thank you uh because i was had different timelines but you know i mean this is all mental manipulation am i wrong Richard? the banking group that's behind it's the same one that funded the bolshevik revolution it's a continuity it's a different generation of of their uh cabal but it's it's not unlike what has happened in the past it's just uh new people in charge as a for instance like john d rockefeller got a really bad uh, reputation for himself and then he got ivy lee and these other pr guys to come out and say well let's just get a lot of f film of you giving out dimes to kids and that became a thing and everyone thought of him then as generous right bill gates right as he's going through uh, uh antitrust hearings and being like a huge liar on film he decides to become a rockefeller-esque philanthropist to give away his money and create these foundations and these foundations are for the good of humanity right these people are not like the creators of anything they're they're front men I got an example because you mentioned like Bezos a couple <laughs> minutes ago. I pulled this book off the shelf. I this love is this. Uh, this is a book called Stealing Time. This is about AOL Time Warner buying uh, like that merger back in the day, yeah, right? Yep. yep. There, there's a Bezos meeting in here, and uh, he was very young. He was like a young entrepreneur. He's starting up Amazon. He's got this noble idea, and he ran into real gangsters. And I thought it was a good example of like how how the system works, right? So he's in this meeting. Let me zoom in for you guys. <laughs> All right, so he's in a he's in a boardroom meeting, and somebody's got a hunting knife, and they stab it into the table as part of the negotiation. The blade <laughs> was six to eight inches long. Davis reckoned from a glance out of the corner of his eye, it wasn't a hunting knife. Perlow later insisted it was a pocket knife. Colburn, who was also in the room, didn't he didn't seem bothered by the glint of the knife. The other person there, Jeff Bezos, chief executive officer of Amazon, appeared alarmed. I bet he was. <laughs> Bezos's eyes became the size of saucers, Davis said. So his eyes wouldn't become the size of saucers. He's seen pen knives before. 
this dude probably took a pretty sizable knife and put it on the table as part of the good. These things were not, things were not going as planned. AOL was trying to pitch Amazon, the emerging online retailer on the benefits of advertising its goods on AOL's internet service. So this whole page is AOL trying to take over Amazon in like kind of a hostile way, way back at the beginning. Uh, and they might still have a part of it. I don't know. Like there's a lot of CIA DOD money in that Amazon joint over there that Bezos runs. I just love how outlaw that shit is though, right? Like, you know, it's so interesting. Yeah. Hollywood and corporate America has a real problem coming out, man. And that is they've ran all the outlaws out. And what you have is a bunch of rich kids trying to fucking crunch data on how to be an outlaw and how to do outlaw shit. Look at all these fucking shows coming out about this person from the 70s, this person from the 80s, all this stuff, because all those people are no longer in Hollywood. Anybody with any personality has been ran the fuck out. Or dead. Or dead, but ran out. Where are they? Drive down Sunset and show me where the fucking outlaws are. It's just all fucking emo band, fucking political correct shit, and nobody's dangerous. Everyone thinks there's rules going on. Now, you know, I, I've been very vocal about the L.A. comedy scene, but the L.A. comedy scene can only do comedy to what the L.A. people want. All the outlaws are gone. Hollywood and corporate America are in deep shit. So you remember when we had that one uh, video of the hearing where the, the one woman's like, I think men can get pregnant. Do you know why she's saying that? Because she wants to be able to be mm -hmm. promoted later on in her, her whatever corporate fucking place she works in. Because you have to say stupid shit so you don't offend anybody along the way. It's also like that. What do they call it with black black people where they break them? You know, it's it's Buck like break. Yeah, it's like the it's the woke liberal version of that. You know, if we can get you to say this, we know you'll do anything. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. It's about shish kebab in your brain, so you say stupid shit, so you can keep moving up because that's what m these big cities are. It's very free Orwellian. range, fucking reservations. I got a good outlaw story for you. I love outlaws. All right. I know a guy, and this will be an example of if there's such a good thing as a good outlaw, this, this could be a story, all right? Because uh, I'm not friends of the system that claims to be uh, an authoritative system yet brings in the drugs and, like, does uh, subjugation and subversion of America, right? So I'm going to tell you a story about a guy who was in the DEA. I'm not a fan of these centralized federal powers that aren't in the Constitution. So I'm, that's my caveat. A couple years ago... Uh, you know, I filmed interviews over the past 12, 13 years. I taught myself cinematography. I, I filmed John Taylor Gatto. I filmed Bill Binney. I also filmed this guy named Hector Bereas. Hector Bereas was the highest ranking um, and highest decorated officer in DEA. He was an undercover agent who infiltrated the Medellin cartel, the Cali cartel, the Guadalajara cartel, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I got called by my buddy John and we, we filmed like, you know, Ray McGovern. We did, we've done a lot of filming together and he calls and says, Hey, I got an, I got an interview in New York with this whistleblower from the DEA. You're not going to believe his story. You got to come to New York and see this guy. And I was like, okay. He's like, you know, bring your gear. So, and the, and the, the foreshadowing is 
the trip before when I filmed with John in DC, we got robbed. So I lost like 10 grand worth of gear and it was a big hassle. So I was hesitant to take my gear into the city, but I did. So I get to the hotel and um, we're waiting for this guy to show up. And he, he walks in and he looks like a, like a cartel guy. He looks like a cocaine cowboy. He's got boots. He's got a belt buckle. He's got a gun. He's not supposed to have a gun in New York city. He, he's, he's the real deal. So we get in this hotel room with them and we're interviewing. So we got like five cameras. We got lights. We're in this hotel room. I have no idea what this guy's going to tell me. He tells me a story I'm partially familiar with part of the story. So he was like an all-star. He, he infiltrated all these places. Rah, rah, shish, boom, blah. Like he, you know, he's, he's in the, he's in the drug cartel war. He's on the, he's on the, like, there's a false dichotomy going on. It's being sponsored by both sides, by the United States taxpayers. So I'm not like, I'm not a right left in that situation. I, I see good people doing good things and you know, that's how I judge them. So in this situation, he had done a bunch of infiltration work for the government to break up cartels that weren't being controlled by the United States government, right? Kind of a Smedley Butler-esque type thing. He was an enforcer for the government. He said at the beginning, I thought my government was as clean as the driven snow. And then he tells a story because he was such a good, he was so good at his job. They had an unsolved murder and he was brought in on this case called Operation Leanda. I think that's the name of the operation. And uh, he's supposed to solve this case. The case is this. And you've probably heard about it by now because there's been several movies made about it over the years. Enrique Kiki Camarena was a DEA agent. He was in front of a United States consulate in Mexico. He was kidnapped, tortured, killed, left left parts of his body out, out, all outside for the birds to pick and whatnot. And there was a tape of his interrogation and his torturing and so it was an unsolved murder. They bring in Hector and he's telling us, uh, you know, about how, how he went about solving it. So the long story short is he finds out the people he works for are the people that did it. Oh my and now that God. he knows that they want to make him a patsy, you know, he's the rogue narc is, is the branding they gave him. He's the rogue narc that like has some, they got him to kidnap this, this doctor bring him out of Mexico that like the DEA, uh, the guy who runs it, um, the admin of the agency told Hector, we want you to go into Mexico, kidnap this guy, bring him to America. And he did that for them. And then later they're like, we never told you to do that. Right. That type of gaslighting stuff. Oh man. Oh, and he's telling us about his experience with El Chapo and uh, and all these different things during this five hour interview session. And every time we come out for a break out of the other room, I'm looking down these long hallways of this Hilton in New York city. They're like, it must take up the whole block, really long hallways. He's talking about El Chapo. I'm like, El Chapo is a couple blocks from here, dude. You don't think these walls have ears. Like you're here telling us all this stuff. We got 10 devices in this room. I expected kind of maybe to, I don't know how that day was going to go. So we get through the whole day. I make it home safe. And I said, this is everything we heard today needs to be written down. It needs to be like a a film treatment. It needs to be a series treatment. So I get together with my buddy, Paul, over a couple months, we crack out. Here's the treatment. It's a three season arc. It's a series called Kilos. It's based on the true stories of this award-winning DEA agent. And John and Hector take it to Netflix in LA. They sit down at the meeting. Netflix wants to license Hector's story. They have the whole meeting. Netflix says, no, thank you. Thanks for coming. Now I copyrighted it, the, the script before it went there. So we have proof. We own that property before it went into Netflix. Netflix says, no, thank you. They then decide to make a series and they didn't have this series at the time. And we knew they didn't have a series at the time, but they had Narcos, but they didn't have Hector's story. 
Well, they took mm. Hector's story and made Narcos Mexico, and they tell it from the cartel side, and they tell it from the CIA side. They tell it from the people who killed Kiki Camarena's side. Oh, my which, God. Fucking but, scandalous, but, dude. All right. So, but there's a silver lining to this. My buddy, John, who was Hector's agent, continued to work on Hector's behalf. Hector got a deal with Amazon. Amazon made a movie series called The Last Narc. And if you go to Amazon and watch The Last Narc, you will hear from the people who kidnapped Kiki Camarena and participated in his murder. Hector got him on camera. He got those guys, like the undercover guys, the crooked cops, the people that participated in the whole thing. He's got them in the movie. Now, it's got some subtitles. You might have to but make it through that story to understand the truth and then go watch Narcos Mexico and see what Hollywood wants to tell you about such things in our world. Because um, it's a really good lesson in U.S. foreign policy and the drug war and how things really work, how power really works, what you're going to get as a whistleblower. And, you know, Hector's son tragically committed suicide during that whole process while he was getting like brought up and like pushed out that whole thing. It was a really tragic story. I mean, his whole story is amazing and epic and only part of it gets told in the last narc. So I would like to see him get book rights and get more of his story out there because he's one of many, many, many whistleblowers like that. And unless people in America understand there are people that are out there fighting on your behalf, risking their lives, sacrificing their families inadvertently in this struggle. And they're, they're coming back with, hey, uh, the, United, the people who killed Camarena, it goes back to CIA and the White House. Yeah. We should not have those entities in power over us. We are f- supposed to be free people, and we're supposed to be ruled by a government based on the Constitution to only protect our rights. When they're not protecting our rights, it's not really government. It's not a Constitution. It's not really government. People need to draw their lines and be like, not beyond here. Yeah, I agree, man. And it's just like, it seems to me, that we are getting crazier and crazier, uh, that they are ramping it up. I think people are starting to realize our intelligence servants aren't necessarily uh, law enforcement for us, but more of doing the work of the elites, and it sucks. It really yeah, does I mean, suck. They were there to protect us from the Hunter Biden laptop. 50 <laughs> intelligence agency leaders say that that's Russian disinformation. That should tell it all to you right there. Yeah, I mean, like, and, that, and there's no, the, the thing is right now, is the lies are so blatant and the, the, the fact that there's no ramifications or punishment for lying is also very, very glaring. And I think people need to understand that's why we have to work on a local level. Um, Johnny sent me a picture from George Floyd. It shows a cop in a mask. Two cops. So, two, one, okay. The one in the back has a mask. We don't know that for sure, but no, I will give you that. Thank you, Johnny. Even though I do not remember that, I guess you're right. Point, Johnny. I, I like that you guys are open to the fact that you might be wrong and you fact check yourself along the way. Oh, I Johnny found loves that to be useful. And then no, when I give no, him no, shit, he goes, it. "Why are you it, being actually. a meanie?" You know. Okay. Actually. Okay. So, anyways, I want because I can't keep you all day because this is this is a wonderful conversation and I love talking to you. Uh, so I want to ask you your thoughts on uh, building. World Trade Center 6, we talked about that. One of my greatest moments in podcasting was telling Tim Dillon about uh, Building 6, and uh, he didn't really uh, know about it. It's uh, Greg Carlwood was another one that didn't know about Building 6 when we brought it up to him. But what are your whole thoughts on Building 6, Richard? Well, uh, Greg does great work, and I'm glad that Tim is like up to speed with Whitney Webb's work. That's encouraging to see people like 
that I work with come on the radar and, and get these things up. Greg Carlwood, like I said, I'm surprised he didn't know about that, but World Trade Center 6 uh, was the customs house. It's a very little talked about building at the World Trade Center complex. It was completely destroyed in an unusual way yeah. on the morning of 9-11. I was there that morning. I was beside World Trade Center 6. I was between World Trade Center 7 and World Trade Center 6 when the Tower 2 exploded. Now, there's a line in the most deaf song that I'm not going to try to repeat here because I'm not, I'm not skilled. Like Do it. But it, it's to the term like you knew it was for real when the second tower popped off. Like it would, they, you knew that they weren't playing, right? It wasn't an accident. And I was like, that is so true. Because for me, I was there thinking I witnessed a tragic accident. People on the floors where I used to work, there's black smoke coming out of there and all sorts of stuff falling out of there. And like I said, I thought I was witnessing an accident until tower two blew up. And at the same time, tower two blew up. I saw flashes go off inside the building next to me. I don't know what they were. I'm not claiming they were incendiary devices or anything. I'm just saying, if you want me to go back to that traumatic event and think of when and how I panicked and got the fuck out of there, it was when that thing up there blew up alongside of this thing, having something go on and that thing already being on fire. I knew I was in, Uncharted territory. I didn't ever think I would see a terrorist attack on my home soil of America. Uh, I yeah, that was well. I, a lot I, of think, I think there's a me. lot to unpack there. One of it is like how shocked we are that something would happen here when we do this over there all the time. Uh, yeah. But the truth becomes, and it had happened in New York before, so I shouldn't have been that shocked. But no, you're no, right. no, I, I right. know, but we're I, naive but, to think we're just like safe in America and that we yeah, can have the foreign been policy lulled. bombing people around the world. And that's not negative against you because it is shocking to see that in front of your face. But it's like we have been lulled into thinking that it always happens over there. And you know, you think about this incredible air defense and all this stuff. Like I've said it a bunch of times, man. I mean, what the, I, I get it, man. We're supposed to have this great military. It doesn't sound like a defense to me. It sounds like an offense because it we've, was turned off that day. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're hundred percent right, dude. You know, I mean, like we, we can bomb the fuck out of everybody, but when elections get stolen, when presidents get assassinated, when, when it comes to people flying planes in the building, somehow this, the greatest defense of all time, uh, wasn't able to do anything. And it's always interesting how it always, and I say this to Brian Callen all the time, isn't it crazy that it always falls to the people who have the money and the power, get more power and more money every time. It never goes the other way. Hardly ever. One time, maybe, when it came to the uh, Iran-Contra scandal, it comes out. But, you know, and then the who goes to jail? Oliver North, surprisingly. You know, nobody of any consequences. But the, the whole point is this, is that, you know, there's a lot going on with Building 6. That, and the reason I think Building 7 is shown to everybody because it's part of this nonlinear warfare where they want both sides arguing about it. I mean, dude, basically Building 7 is a three-camera shoot shot all, you know, perfectly angled and all that stuff. And it's like... Why, wait, so do you think... You you still think Building Seven is what we think it is, all right? Or is there a new? Oh well, no, it's got. But they wanted us to know that they could have waited two hours and it would have been dark. No one would have ever seen it, man. It was them telling us like okay, we can okay. do this in front of you, right, and there's right. nothing you can do about yeah. it. We can have the I BBC thought you were saying James Stanley report no. twenty minutes early, yeah. and you guys won't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, like it's, but it's it's the way that it's it's 
It's shot in a way that both sides can argue their side yeah. of the story. Oh, I see. What you're yes. Saying. Okay. Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So it's Just like, like Solomon the Rothschild said about like getting the fighting fish. Like you, the two sides are going to like tire each other out, and then the scene from Doctor No is Doctor No's got these two fighting fish, and there's a third one right here, and he lets these two expire. Like one kills the other. This one's tired out. Then he lets the fresh fish out. And it kills them. And that's like one of the first James Bond movies ever. That's a very powerful thing. Solomon de Rothschild said in the Civil War that that's what the, what the goal was, to expire both sides so that the bankers can come in and sweep up. It's the same thing that's going on today. So you're very astute, Sammy. Like, I don't know if you get the credit you should for your intellect. Thank Johnny you. Actually, you guys are like the sharpest team out there, man. I I appreciate that from a guy with a thousand books to be called <laughs> yeah. intelligence is uh, great. You, Jay Dyer, should have a book off where you guys just pull books from the office. Right. Bam, bam, yeah, that'd bam, be good. bam. Who, good. who can keep pulling books off from the other yeah. one? I wish I could. But, you know, that's what it's all about, man, when you really understand it. So the final question is this, man. What do we do about this? What do we do about all this information? I personally, you know, I had a, a conversation with a good friend of mine. He's going through some shit right now. And I, I'm like, dude, you got to become the hero of your own story. This yeah. fucking movie, the fucking action hero could go one of two ways. He either fucking dies and we got a 45 minute movie <laughs> or he saves himself and pulls himself out of this fucking situation he's in. So yeah. it's like, what do we do, man? What do we do? Because, you know, I, I am, I will never black pill. This show will end on the day I think it's over. You'll be like, I'll get, you guys will get a text. The show's done. We're never doing it again. It's over. It's, there's no hope. What is the purpose of this? I don't believe in that. I'm really in this place that it's all haunted house shit. Not that they're not trying to come for us, but we have all the power. And if we just stop fighting over these stupid things, we can't save everybody, okay? We can't. We can only fucking band up with our tribe. And our tribe goes across colors and religions and sex and sexual orientation, dude, okay? They're a vibe with your tribe. But what are your thoughts on how we can, can save ourselves? All right, this is a good question. First off, let's just make the observation. We can't solve the problems at the same level of intellect that we either created them or inherited them, right? So we inherited a lot of institutional evolutions that we don't understand, so we just capitulate and say, yeah, they're the authority. But when you start to learn to look at things for yourself and you have a method of critical thinking and a method of creative problem solving and a method of how to communicate with people, when you have these tools and you're practiced at using them, it's a whole lot easier to get stuff done. So let's start at the community level. We want local accountability because external accountability is globalist slavery. So we want local accountability. We're going to have to start participating more in local things. We're also going to have to start learning how to turn on our property, whether you buy it or rent it, into permaculture, into growing food forests and fruit forests on your property, not emulating a British fucking lawn where you genocide all life on it except some useless grass. The Americas have only, we in America have only had grass lawns since like 1910. They did a bunch of research all over the world to find the right type of grass so that they could make America more like Britain. Right. America is supposed to be you're a pioneer, you're trailblazing. You use your whole property like a smart person would to grow food, to be self-reliant, to not have to go get your something from the empire. But so the history of permaculture, the history of critical thinking, logic, all these sort of things are what I do 90% of the week. I spend the week working with business clients, entrepreneurs, growing their small businesses at my, my company, autonomyunlimited.com. We do marketing and consulting for freedom lovers. 
right? We have a niche market. We like to work with people we know with and help out our friends. I also teach a course twice a year. It's 12 weeks. It's a training course called Autonomy. And what we do there is we, we, we dissolve away that indoctrination. We help you take away and remove the ideas you believe that are not true, that are not useful to your life. We help you then establish network and community with other people going through and give you exercises to learn about these other people and build your skills at the same time and get your education on and learn what they took out of education to make it into schooling and put that back in and then add some high value skills so you can have upward mobility. If the stock prices crash and the market goes crazy and inflation goes up, the only answer is to up your skills to the world, up your value and make more money because making less money or trying to save our way out of these situations isn't going to work. So there's people who aren't going to take action. I can't help them. People who are interested in taking action, I send them to getautonomy.info forward slash ignite and they go through an obstacle course and decide if it's right for them. It's total transparency. I give people like the easiest road to the value that we're offering, which is unique in the world. Colleges cannot afford to teach you this information to be self-reliant and autonomous. And if you want a coupon code, we can use coupon code uh, tinfoil hat. I'll make one after this. Bam, let's do it. Yeah. Do it. I'm gonna start putting affiliation, uh, affiliate links on my website so people can go. Optimize and- your infrastructure, bro, because I love sending uh, referral checks to my colleagues because you guys are helping me find the best people for the course and then they thrive in it. And I'll tell you what we did a, the students during the season, we do a podcast every Saturday. So I give them podcasting experience. It's not for all of them, but some of them participate. We had the best podcast on Saturday. It went for three hours. You have all these entrepreneurs and business owners and people just learning how to get some skills just went through a 12 week training course and they've grown so much in the past three months. And it was so it was so glowing. It, may, it really made me feel good as a teacher that we were purveying so much value in a time when everyone else is just sucking wind. You know, Richard, uh, I, I, our conversations are uh, epic classics. And uh, again, you came, you saw, you dropped the hammer of the gods. And it was a wonderful episode. And I hope people realize that. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, whether it's Tinfoil Hat, Zero, Cash Daddies, uh, Richard's program, whatever it is, man, it's like, dude, you got to save yourself, man. You, and you could do it. Like, if the nuclear bomb comes and hits, what can you do at that point? You got to get under your desk and try to hide or, duck, or and, duck and cover, duck and roll, or whatever you're going to do. Or you could, like, get ahead of this game, get self sufficient. And I'm going to tell you this, Richard. I mean, the, I, everything to me is manifesting. And what right now the networks are doing to you is manifesting that fucking a crash is coming and they're just telling you it all the time over and over and over because they want you to hoard your fucking money they don't want you spending it in your community they want these local businesses crashing they want you to live in scarcity okay i lost a lot of money in crypto i'll tell you that right now but you know what man i don't give a fuck Because I know that I'm going to fucking help support people around me. I'm going to practice abundance, okay? You can do it. There are people out there that can show you how to survive and advance. NCAA tournament this shit, okay? Survive and advance. You got to do it. It's up to you. You're tired? Yeah, guess what? Your immigrant grandpa was tired and he had 19 jobs he had to do because he had a billion kids to take care of. And guess what he did? Did it. You know what he said? Fuck your feelings, man. 
You can sleep when you're dead. Okay, you got to power through it. This is the time where you're going to figure out who are the men, who are the women, and who are the children. Do you want shit to happen to you or do you want to take control? That's it. There's programs out you to do it. If you fucking live in doom and gloom, this recession's going to fuck you in your ass. Or you're going to take control of it right now. That's up to you. That's what this whole show's about. That's what all my brands are about. You taking control of your life and and and, and being the, the fucking hero of your story, man. I know I say the F word a lot, and I'm sorry about that. My Dana's brother listens. He's, uh, he says F words a lot. That's just who I am, man. So I'm just telling you, man, you take control right now. Sign up for Richard's course. Listen to Cash Daddies. Do whatever you got to do to take control of your life. Because you can do it. I just had a conversation with Zoltan, who does all my graphic work. Dude, he he's first generation. He just bought his own house. He did it. If he can do it, you can do it. And, and Zoltan's super smart and a great guy. That's not like, if Dum Dum can do it, you can do it. You can do it, man. He just took control of his life. When I do it, you'll be able to do it. You can do it. You can do it. You take control of your life, too, dude. You, I bust your balls all the time, bust your guys' balls. But you guys take control of your life all the time, man. And that's what you got to do. Either take control now or fucking wait for the tsunami of sadness and scarcity to engulf you. If you don't take control of your life, you're going to be like those two guys and, dude, where's my car? You'll be going <laughs> Zoltan all the time. Yeah, dog, all the time. Richard Grove, <laughs> he came, he saw, I crushed. Thank you again, brother. Uh, you definitely should be in the discussion as one of the uh, members of Mount Crushmore after this, per, uh, this, this episode. So thank you, dude. I love talking to you. It's always good. To, I got to get you on Jimmy Dore. I want you to come on Conspiracy Social Club, but we got to handle Brian with care, man. He's he's a good I guy. Understand. He's a little retarded. Uh, no, but he's, he's not. A, he's a really smart guy, and his dad is in the CFR. So okay, okay. All right, guys. We love you very much. Hey, Florida, grab your tickets. Grab your tickets, man. Eddie and I are coming. We need to sell these tickets so we can keep coming and rocking. We're going to come out there. I promise you, Eddie is on fire. My new shit is fire. You're going to love it, and you're going to get real comedy, not this cookie-cutter stuff you're seeing on everything right now. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you got a lot out of it. Save yourself, guys. I love you very much. Take care. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.